episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all for joining me today. While this is typically a question and answer based podcast, if you want to send a question in for a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Uh, you can go to the submit a question link, send me a question over there, and I will be sure to answer it. Uh, you can also, as I've mentioned before, send me an audio uh, audio question recorded into your phone. You can record it into Instagram. I'm Fearcast Podcast over at Instagram. Um, but you can record your question. Uh, send me a link to it through Google Audio or, or, or Google, excuse me, uh, uh, Drive or whatever uh, whatever program you would like, and that will go to the top of the list for a for the next uh, recorded episode. Today is going to be a little bit different. I had the honor to speak with John Hirschfield again. He was so delightful, as always, to join me uh, for this episode. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about him and um, uh, in just a moment and then get into this. This intro will probably be very short. Um, if you can hear what I sound like, it sound, as my grandmother would say, it sounds like I have a frog in my throat. I don't know if anybody else's grandmother says that, but, but mine did. And <clears throat> so I, I still have whatever I had two weeks ago, except it's been me and the rest of the family coughing for for all day and all night. So it's if you have the opportunity to not get whatever this is, I would implore you to do so. Unless you're looking for a fantastic, I don't know, opportunity to get out of anything or everything, go for it. You know, dealer's choice, man. If you want to go for it, it's it's up to you. But I will politely decline in the future. So anyways, um, so it's going to be relatively short. Thank you all for the patience in uh, with last week with no episode, but uh, I, I'm so glad that I could record this with John. Uh, uh, last week when I was uh, still probably f- uh, fevery and not making any sense, but you know what, we're going to air it anyways. So let me tell you a little bit about John Hirschfeld. Uh, John Hirschfield is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He has too many accolades to to really uh, to really uh, uh, fit into just one intro. But uh, very briefly, he is the director for the Center of Anxiety or OCD and Anxiety with Shepherd Pratt's outpatient treatment program. Prior to that, John was the founder of the OCD and Anxiety Center of Greater Baltimore. He was also the associate director of UCLA or the UCLA. Pediatric OCD Intensive Outpatient Program. He is the author of six books, including a, a, a wildly popular uh, book called uh, The Mindfulness Workbook for OCD. Everybody should get it. Everybody should read it. So um, John joined me today <clears throat> to talk about one of his um, uh, favorite topics, which is uh, mindfulness and meditation. Uh, we hear a lot about mindfulness and how to use it uh, for treatment or what it looks like in treatment. Uh, John had an opportunity to uh, um, uh, to chat with me about, or I had the opportunity to, to chat with him about um, how he views mindfulness, how he uses mindfulness personally, and how he uses it uh, with his clients, and how um, and how we can start to view thoughts differently, how we view our relationship with our experiences, and just the, the here and now differently. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with John Hirschfield. John Hirschfeld, thank you so much for joining us today for the podcast to talk about mindfulness and meditation and how it relates to OCD and anxiety treatment. 
Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah. Well, so w- one of the things that you're you're well known for, at least um, at least in in, in circles uh, in, in OCD circles, is 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 mindfulness and how to apply the use of mindfulness to to uh, OCD OCD symptoms, anxiety, and would love to just hear some of your thoughts on. Um, on, on what that what that can mean for people in a practical sense. I know, you know, I, I've had you on the podcast before, but we never really jumped into this specifically. And I'm curious to hear, you know, what 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 is mindfulness? I mean, how can you just start by by defining what mindfulness is and maybe also juxtapose that or, or, or bring in the definition of meditation? And, and are they the same? Or are they different? Yes, there's a few terms that I think are worth clarifying. So one is mindfulness, which is a perspective that one takes, which is to say mindfulness is observing your experience in the moment the way that it is without judgment. So it's the ability to see things for what they are as opposed to seeing things only through the lens of the stories that you tell yourself about them. So a simple example might be um, you have a pain in your back. Right? So, seeing that for what it is, you might identify that as sensation. But the story might be something like, my back hurts and it's not fair because I have all these things I have to do today and I'm really angry about it hurting and it's going to hurt forever and I don't know what medication to take for it and I don't trust doctors anyway. And all of that is happening in your consciousness at the same time, but it is not the same thing as the pain in the back. And so, mindfulness is observing things for what they are and 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 seeing that the rest is story. And then we can apply this to thoughts, we can apply this to emotions, we can apply this to sensations. So it's looking at your experience in the present, non-judgmentally. And uh, meditation is one way in which people can develop the attentional control that it requires to really be mindful, which is to say, to notice when your attention is wrapped up in that story and be able to drop out of that story and come back to just what is as mm-hmm. opposed to what could be. And and Kevin, I know as as a as an expert in OCD, you know very much about people being really fused to concerns about what could be mm-hmm. and not really observing what is. You know, what is is that they're having intrusive thoughts and and recognizing that they're of an unpleasant nature and what could be is you know i could hurt my baby or something like that but these are very two two very different things but to the person with ocd they don't seem so different because they don't have that kind of attentional control to be able to step out of the story and say okay i'm going to drop that story right now and just focus on the present that's a lot of what we teach people to do in treatment and i and i would say it's not exclusive to OCD. Mm-hmm. If you ask people with any mental health condition, you know, what's wrong, they're likely to tell you a story or a belief about what they're experiencing that is causing them to suffer. Mm-hmm. And they will say, that is what is wrong. Um, and so the ability to separate the story from the experience is a huge asset. So meditation is one way that you can develop greater mindfulness, and it means different things to different people. The type of meditation that I practice. It's sometimes called vipassana meditation. It's really a very simple act of identifying something that you are going to rest your attention on, mm-hmm. like this a sensation in your body, or uh, the sens- many people use the sensation of breathing. Mm-hmm. And what you're going to do is you're going to watch that happening, 
And whenever you notice that you're not doing that, because it's the mind's tendency is to look around and be restless and explore and get bored. Whenever you notice that you're not watching the anchor, you simply begin again, right? And the difference between that process and something that's maybe more of an OCD process is, okay, you're watching the anchor, mm -hmm. whether you're meditating or watching TV, you're choosing to pay attention to something. Mm -hmm. And then your mind wanders off. And instead of just recognizing that your mind wandered and then re-engaging with your anchor, the tendency is to have to do something first, mm -hmm. right? So I'm watching TV and then I have a thought about what if uh, my OCD fears come true. To just drop it and go back to watching TV feels very irresponsible. Mm -hmm. I want to reassure myself that my fears won't come true. I want to do a mental ritual. I want to you know, do some sort of compulsion and then I'm allowed to come back to the present moment. So mindfulness cuts through that and says, just come back without precondition. See what that's like. See what that feels like. Is it uncomfortable? Okay, what does uncomfortable feel like? See what that feels like and just observe that. Seems risky. Yes, yes. Well, that is what it is to be alive, isn't it? Right? It's, it's, all, <laughs> it's all very risky. Um, and yet, if like exposure therapy, right, you do these calculated risks and then you learn over time that you can tolerate them and that actually mm -hmm. they're not what they see. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the same is true, even at that, that simple thing of like, you know, people say, I can't meditate or I can't just drop this and come back to the, to focusing on my, my body because, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, except that what if is another thought, right? Mm -hmm. It's another object of attention and it's all happening on the same field of consciousness. It's just that you're making an exception. So, okay. I can sit here and relax. Everything here is relaxing, but I can't sit here and relax while having thoughts about this or that, mm -hmm. right? We're making these exceptions. So as one becomes more mindful, those exceptions don't seem so so meaningful because again, they're just other thoughts. This is something that, you know, it's very hard to articulate in a podcast. Of course, it's that's sort of the, the beauty of meditating is that it's a way to find out for yourself. So in, in ERP, we often talk about like, hey, let's run this experiment called exposure therapy. Let's touch this dirty thing and not wash your hands. Let's let's see how that feels for you and mm -hmm. then maybe will learn something and so you get to tell people with ocd um not oh well erp works because i read that it works or because we says here in this book that it works but you get to find out for yourself and meditation and mindfulness is the same basic idea you know and don't take my word for it let's let's see what happens if you actually learn how to meditate and spend the time on it do you develop any insights do you develop a different relationship with your thoughts, feelings, and sensations that are less fused and less personal and less identity-driven? Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, this has been my experience, but maybe it won't be yours, but there's a way to find out. What, I, 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 I wrote down so much stuff, and we're going to get to at least some of it. Um, what I noticed in what you had said is, is I, I'm trying to decide which one to start with. We'll just start with one. So, <laughs> Um, one of the things I hear from so many people when I talk to them about mindfulness is is the the, the hippy dippy nature to it. In other words, the you know they, it feels especially for perhaps for some you know conservative group clients they can they can have concerns over, but other folks where they say you know I'm I'm not into that woo woo stuff. Um, you know, and, you know, anchoring on the breath or hearing a gong or something like that doesn't really, you know, I'm not going to do that. But you, you said whether or, not, whether or not you anchor on the TV show that you're watching, 
it, it seems like that opens the door then that the anchor doesn't have to just be, you know, you sitting in a, or the, the meditation or mindfulness practice doesn't have to just be sitting in some, you know, temple in, in you know, in the mountains somewhere, um, you know, waiting for enlightenment. I, I don't remember where I read it, but there, there was some quote or paraphrase that I thought was quite interesting. Like I was talking about how you know, Westerners in particular meditate so that they learn how to be uh, good people and live good lives. But really, you should be a good person and live a good life so that you can learn to meditate. <laughs> it should be in the other direction. Because meditation comes at the end of that experience. And I think what it was speaking to is this idea of, you know, mindfulness is a way of experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. So you take something very simple like watching TV. Sure. I often get into this terrible habit when I'm at home watching TV with my family. We have our shows that we follow. Mm-hmm. And I have my phone in my hand. And the moment I start to kind of tire of the story or, you know, wander into thoughts about work or whatever, I get a little uncomfortable about what I have to do the next day. And I'm, I'm not really watching TV. I'm in front of the TV, mm-hmm. but I'm not really watching it. I'm with my family, but I'm not really paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. And before I know it, I'm doom scrolling on Twitter looking for something that will be, you know, satisfyingly irritating. Why am I doing this? I have no idea. I don't even know that I am doing it. Mm-hmm. It's just happening. It's this conditioned response. But that's a good example of not being mindful. I'm not aware of where I am. I'm not, my body is not in the same place as my mind, mm-hmm. right? And if I didn't have the phone there and I wasn't as distracted, I could be sitting, watching TV, following the story, also being aware of what it feels like to be near my family, also being aware of how it feels to, to be pulled into the couch in that very kind of comforting way. Right? And I can just notice that all these things are arising and I'm not, I'm not creating them. I'm not controlling them. I don't know when they will end. They're just what I happen to be seeing there. Mm-hmm. But that, that is a different experience at every level than the experience of doom scrolling on Twitter while the TV's on in the background and you're kind of, you know, not really aware of your surroundings. So that is what I mean when, I, when I'm talking about being mindful. I do think you're right that a lot of times when people think about mindfulness, they think about meditating which is just an exercise. It's, a, it's, it's something that you can do. Or they think about, like you said, the new age hippy-dippy stuff of, you know, uh, things that, you know, personally speaking, I'm not into. I mean, when I'm like on a meditation retreat and I'm very much in the zone and they tell me to, you know, wish well for all sentient beings, I'm totally into it. But I don't walk around all day wishing well for deer ticks. I'm, it's not, that's not what's normally on my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not into it. You're, you're not not into it, but you're, that's not the, the focus for, for you. You can have yeah. a, you can have, it sounds like it's a, it's a more, one can have a more practical, I, I, and I, I, I don't know if that's the right term, but a more practical down-to-earth focus or use of meditation or mindfulness rather than having mm-hmm. to develop yeah. this you know new new personality what i'm trying to ultimately do for someone out there who's just hearing this and talking about mindfulness i mean they've obviously they probably have heard a lot about it is to kind of in a sense normalize this practice that it's it it, it can be a very accessible act like you said it's you can practice mindfulness simply sitting on the couch at at night watching tv and everybody does. I mean, you can ask any person who's never meditated, never heard of mindfulness, never thought about yeah. it, to bring to mind some experience where they just felt connected to something bigger than themselves, either in a relig- religious sense or in a purely natural sense. You know, like 
that one time you hiked that one mountain and you got to the top and you just sat there and you just watched the birds come and go. Right. And you didn't think about what kind of bird is that? And what does it eat? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and what if it kills me? <laughs> you know, like you just were watching experience because you, you, you were finally able to, to just be instead of being lost in your stories about I'm a this and I think that and this is how things are done and here's what's going to happen next and I shouldn't have done that thing when I was in high school and all that noise you're not fused with it so so everybody who has ever lived has had mindful experiences they just might not have noticed that that's what was happening and what we're trying to do when we further develop something like a mindfulness practice is to bring that quality to other experiences right when you're eating to actually notice what you're eating and to taste it and to say like hey i'm alive on earth having this experience not sustenance and then more work <laughs> right like to actually be with the experience mm -hmm. um, we all have this capacity to do it and yet we live in a world and i say we i'm talking mostly about my you know western cultural demographic live in a world where we are constantly being invited away from mindfulness mm-hmm you know, distract yourself, increase your pleasure, increase your possessions, your, you know, it's all about what you can get. Uh, if you have pain, you know, here's how you're going to get out of it. And uh, if you have, a, you know, something satisfying, here's how you're going to get more of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, social media advertising, like you can't get away from it. So this is not, this is no easy feat because mm -hmm. we have to, again, like exposure therapy, you have to learn to go against your conditioning if you want to see different results if, if someone was to try to you know put 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 this to the test to try this on for size what can they expect or what's is there a expectation of what it will be like the first time they try to anchor themselves in the present you know reduce those distractions and just be what, what do you think they, they might notice i don't know if that question even makes any sense well, no, it makes perfect sense. And I think what many people notice and it puts them off is chaos, restlessness, you know, anxiety, agitation. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're constantly distracting yourself, what are you distracting yourself from? Like some unpleasant experience. So when you stop distracting yourself, mm -hmm. what's there? Some unpleasant experience. I can tell you just from my experience, every yeah. time I go on a meditation retreat where you're focusing on meditation, you know, pretty much all day or some version of mindfulness pretty much all day for several days in a row. Right. The first day or two are unpleasant because all of the stuff, the fear, the shame, the guilt, the worries, the physical discomforts that I would normally distract myself away from are just there. And over time, you learn to see them as just things that are there and not personal threats to you. And then they become you know, less threatening and then they become less disturbing and then you are able to notice more than just the things you don't like. But that takes a little bit of time. So when someone meditates for the first time and they just sit there in silence, probably the first thing they're going to notice is a lot of obsessive thoughts and a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, judgmental thoughts. This is stupid. I don't like this. Why am I sitting here? What's going to happen next? And the trick is to fold that into the experience and say, oh, hey, look at that. A lot of judgmental thoughts not stop having those thoughts not trying to control it oh. just stepping back and saying okay that's what arising that that's what's arising you know what is different about a pain in your 
knee from sitting and a thought about this is stupid. Well, nothing. They're just both objects of attention that you're noticing. It's just that the thought about this being stupid, you tend to get much more caught up and be like, that's it, I'm out of here. Can -hmm. you step back and just notice, oh yeah, judgment, a lot of judgment coming up, a lot of restlessness. Mm -hmm. So you practice that for a while and you start to notice that you become much less impressed by the individual objects of attention. You start to see the bigger picture. So something like boredom arises and you Mm -hmm. might catch yourself going, well, look at that boredom. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's some boredom, right? That's a, that's a thing that's happening in your consciousness that wasn't there before, and now it's there. And if you keep watching it, guess what? It's going to go away. It's going to be replaced by something else. Not necessarily something better, but still, <laughs> you know, this is what it means to improve your observational skills. And it sounds like in in that there there needs to be a a, a c- cultivation of curiosity about about what boredom feels like. And what boredom, what your relationship to boredom is. I think so often, I mean, you talked about, you know, you, you got your phone and, and get, acquire things and go do things and think about the thing from the past and what's going to happen tomorrow. That's very exciting and that feels to a certain degree purposeful, but boredom somehow feels bad or feels like we're not supposed to yeah. experience it. We're not, either not supposed to, or it's a, it, it is a, it's one of those things in our modern culture that we've eliminated. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's almost humorous proportions, right? You could be sitting quietly in a a park and you could be experiencing the warmth of the sun on your back Mm -hmm. caused by light from a gazillion miles away that has traveled all the way down right to within a couple of feet of earth just for you to get in a way in the way of it right and and to feel that on your skin and it's a star and you're alive and your way of relating to that experience is boring <laughs> right like Dumb. that's it <laughs> that's your takeaway <laughs> this is stupid i'm out um so boredom is is really in many ways a failure failure to really pay attention mm-hmm. and and i think that's something that that one can learn from from meditating. I think that in your in your explanation about what someone can expect that first time they, they try to do this, um, is that that potential for self-judgment. Um, you know, if they if they think that they can just, you know, say, I'm I'm gonna do meditation. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a mindful person and then sit down and all of a sudden be a master at it, um, they find that they're probably not gonna be exceptionally good at it. But that's part of that practice is is get, is getting better at it. But part of that judgment is, see, I, f- I failed at this, like I fail at all the other things. Um, how how does someone combat that? Well, it's it's all folded into the same exercise, right? Because what do you when you're saying I failed at this? What you're saying is, while I'm having this experience, a thought arose that wasn't there before, and the thought is, I failed. Mm-hmm. It's followed by another thought that I always fail. Just followed by another thought that my father doesn't love me. <laughs> you know, like it, it just keeps going, right? But but again, what are we teaching people with OCD? That thoughts are conditioned to be associated with one another, and that if you keep trying to find meaning in every single thought, you're going to end up very deep in a rabbit hole of obsessing and compulsing. But if you could actually just learn that a thought is a thought, and that the content of the thought doesn't have to define you. Well, then you're free and you can say, hey, I'd like to pay a lot of attention to this or no attention or some attention. 
I can have some curiosity about it or no curiosity about it. I have that flexibility now that I didn't have before when I'm allowed to have a thought about a, a donut, but I'm not allowed to have a thought about uh, a knife or whatever it is, right? Like this, this is, you mentioned curiosity before. That's really at the core of all of this. Are you willing to take a look, including at things that are uncomfortable for you? What's it like? What's it like to be uncomfortable? Let's take a look. Mm-hmm. How does this relate to positivity? This might be a left field turn, but I think so, some people just kind of I, I've, I, I've heard some people talk about this as, you know, I, I need to be I need to be more positive about my my thoughts, about my experience, about my obsessions. And it, and, and it can sometimes turn into this, um, you know, com, I, well, I think it turns into a compulsive process of like, I got this. It's going to be fine. These thoughts are just thoughts. Right. Right. Which is really avoidance. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I don't know if I'm, you know, like that's, that sounds very avoidant to me. Um, positivity is cool. Toxic positivity, less cool. Less right? cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my, my thinking about, you know, positive versus negative, really talking about pleasing versus, versus not, versus displeasing. And if you think about mindfulness as being stationary, while the world moves around you so Mm -hmm. sort of noticing thoughts arising and going as opposed to you going after thoughts or them coming after you you're just sort of watching them come and go a lot of common metaphors in mindfulness are like sitting at the edge of a stream and watching the leaves go along the stream or looking at the clouds and watching them move by or Mm -hmm. sitting at a train platform watching it go by so so if you think of that as being a way to observe your experience then as things are moving down this conveyor belt or whatever and you're watching it you might notice things that are neutral and you might notice things that are pleasing. And then you might notice something that's very displeasing, you know, a thought about something that's upsetting for you. Mm-hmm. And the tendency, especially when you have OCD, but again, I, I think this also applies to most people, is when you see that displeasing thing, you're very wired to try to get rid of it, to eliminate it. Right. And you tend to track it. So instead of staying stationary, I don't know if this is going to translate, you know, just in an audio podcast, sure. but like if you can just picture like looking forward and something is moving past your field of vision and you don't like it. So then you turn and you track it and you say, that's bad. I don't like it. I have to fix that. And while you're trying to fix that, the conveyor belt is still moving, meaning there are still plenty of neutral and positive and yes, other displeasing objects of consciousness Mm -hmm. happening, but your focus is now on this unpleasant thing that you're trying to fix. So your experience is negative. You think your life is negative because you're very immersed in solving the problem of getting rid of this negative thing. And you're missing out on everything else that's happening. All the other stuff. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah, all of the other stuff, right? I, I hate my life. I'm having a terrible day at work, right? And I love my children. And, uh, you know, this season of Handmaid's Tale is actually quite good. Right? Like, these are all, <laughs> these are things that are happening. And they're good. But you're not paying any attention to that. You're just focused on how much you hate your life because, because you had a bad day at work. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're missing out on the bigger picture. So imagine what it would be like if you didn't turn when that negative experience arose. If instead you stayed looking straight. Mm-hmm. So neutral thoughts are going by yeah. and emotions and sensations. Pleasing ones are going by and emotions and sensations. You're not clinging to them either. And then these negative things are coming by and you're like, oh, look at that. That, that looks pretty bad, right? But you're, you're allowing it to come and go. Mm-hmm. And you're not... You're not in a state of delusion. You're not pretending this is fine. It might be very bad. But because you're allowing yourself to stay, 
the next thing comes along and you're there for it. And the next thing comes along might be something very nice, very good. Right? Mm-hmm. So the thought of, oh, this is going to go very badly. Okay, well, that's an idea. And then you might have another thought like, you know, uh, it might work out or uh, I'm, I'm good that I have, a, I'm happy I have the support system that I have or I'll be going to therapy next week and that'll be helpful, right? You're actually present for the arising of those thoughts because you're not so busy trying to get rid of the negative. So you end up viewing your life more three-dimensionally, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yes, absolutely. And with that, the, 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 the argument that I know someone out there is saying is, yeah, but you noticed some of those things that went by that are problems that do need to be fixed. It might be that thought, it's, you know, it's the, it's the water bill. Right? It's it's rent. It's you know I, I've I've got to I've got to get into the doctor and get that thing checked out. Right? That it, it I, I hear the argument of well, wouldn't it if if it's a problem and if it's something that I can fix and address, wouldn't it behoove me to do it? Isn't it wise and good for me to do that and to stop this meditation and to go take action on these things? So. There's a couple of moving parts to that conundrum. The, the short answer is, yeah, you so should. I'm not, I'm not trying to play devil's that. advocate too much, just a, just a little bit. No, no, <laughs> and absolutely not, although you should get that thing checked out, Kevin. I should, um, I really should. The, <laughs> the, uh, the, like, use, use the example of the water bill. It needs to be paid, right? So you have a thought about it needing to be paid, and you can't be like, no, I am one with the universe. It shall, right. it shall get paid by some mystical force, right? No, you have to pay it. I get that. So can you pay it mindfully? Is there a time and a place where your attention is best set on pulling out your checkbook and, you know, folding in the the statement and putting in an envelope, putting a stamp on it and sending it out? Like, uh, yeah, you should do that, right? Do you need to be doing that right now while you're meditating? Do you need to be doing that right now while you're eating? Do you need to be doing that right now while you're trying to have a conversation with your kid about the meeting of the universe? Like, when is is it time to pay attention to that? And there might be some instances where mm-hmm. the time is definitely now, right? So you're, you're meditating and then you suddenly realize, you know, you left a little burning in another room or something like that. And okay, fine, get up and blow it out. That's fine. And even that, do that mindfully. Be there for that experience. But what we tend to do is worry as if worrying is going to change the outcome. Worrying is not the same thing as planning or mm-hmm. preparing. Maybe you're worried about what, you know, if you're a young person and you're thinking about going to college and you don't know which college to go to and you have those applications and things like that, yeah, um, you should definitely set aside a time where you're going to say, my attention goes to this now. But you can't walk around 24-7 thinking about that, right? Because then you miss out on the rest of life. You should set aside a time to prepare and plan and you can do those things mindfully. Worrying adds very little to the equation in the same way that's, that, that guilt uh, lends very little to the equation. I'm not saying they're completely useless. Sometimes they are signals or signs that we want to uh, respond to. But for the most part, you know, worrying just means feeling guilty about the future that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And guilt is, you know, worrying about the past that's technically over, right? There needs to be some, we put a very high price on like worrying as if it's going to change the flow of traffic when it doesn't. Right. And one of the things I've heard you say in, in, in a couple of talks is, is that I think is, is, is profound and important for a, for a lot of OCD clients. It, you've said something to the effect of, I might screw up the, the, the quote, but it's like, who said you needed to analyze any thought? 
who said that every thought needed a, a, attention or uh, uh, an analysis. And I think that's that that is freeing in the sense of you know if someone has this thought that you know maybe they are not not who they feel they are. There's some there's someone else, or maybe that you know they they should be with another person. And I say, well, it's, I should. I should analyze that thought because isn't it important? It's fair to me. It's fair to them. Um, Or gosh, isn't it a wise thing for me to consider whether or not I could hurt my family? Um, I think you've said something like, well, who who says you need to think about every thought? Now, I'm I'm then going to open it up for you to to tell me that I'm completely wrong and and misheard you. But I I want to throw that out there. (laughs) No, it's right. It certainly sounds like me. It's, it's, it sounds more. It sounds like my father. Where is it written that this is uh, how we're supposed to do things? Um, I, I think that uh, it, it's. I've had many. You've probably had this experience too, or in clinical practice, where somebody says, "I'm so, I'm so worried because I, you know, I have this thought, and I, and I don't know whether or not it's true. You know, what if it's true? And and then your response is like okay but you know why do you need to know and they're like i I don't know (laughs) i don't know i just feel like don't don't i need to know i'm like i don't know do you need to know but maybe you don't need to know right you're like they're very invested in this project of getting certainty about this thing because the the words that make up the thing are very scary words Mm -hmm. but they've been living their whole life not knowing the answer to this and suddenly their ocd says no you have to know now that the clock is ticking you got to figure it out it's not a rule this is a big mystery. I mean, we I don't think we've solved it in the in the mental health world. Like, how are we supposed to respond to thoughts? Mm-hmm. It's a very, very, very basic thing. Like, nobody tells us, right? So we make up, we, we might learn some things from our cultural traditions or our mm-hmm. religion or something our, our parents said or some experience we had. And say, so, okay, well, this sounds supposed to relate to thoughts, but, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We just, how are you supposed to respond to emotions? How are you supposed to respond to, you know, different kinds of sensations that there's a lot of, a lot more flexibility there than people think, mm-hmm. but they're very, they're very afraid of their stories. Like I'm going to disappoint people is a good example of a story. Right, right. Gosh, and I, I, I heard even within that, you can practice that, that, that mindfulness of just observing that urge observing that 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 the, the discomfort of not knowing uh, mm-hmm. the, the the presence that's of that right. story floating through and that story may may be joined by discomfort but that can yep. can we allow that to be there as just a present thing knowing that uh, i mean I love, I love that it said we we can know that this thought will go away because it came back yeah yeah and and you know if there's a story uh you know that I'm going to butcher, you know, told by a great meditator goes to the Buddhist master and says, you know, I've been meditating all of this time, you know, for years and it's, it's just so complicated and I just can't figure it out. Can you please just tell me as simply as you can, like what all of this is about and the great meditation master, Buddhist master, mindfulness master, whatever you want to call it says, uh, everything changes. Mm. Yeah. Just sit with that for a second, right? Everything changes Mm -hmm. that is the nature of all things so you're having a thought okay right that one's gonna come thought's gonna go thought's gonna change Mm -hmm. right and again that doesn't mean oh i'm so comforted by the fact that the thought that i hate will go away and then i'll be free it Uh just means that whatever experiencing experience you're having is not going to stay the same right and can you notice that too Mm -hmm. can you notice the change this was something that came up a lot for me in in my most recent attempt uh, at a uh, at a meditation retreat was 
really trying to pay more attention to change than to the object that was changing. So mm. the object might be the you know pain in my hip from sitting, or it might be the uh, recurring thought about you know stuff at work or something like that. But instead of paying attention to that object, you know what is it? What does it mean? Where? Why is it there? Where is it going? Just watching it, and then the moment it changed, whether it turned from a sharp pain to a tingling, or turned from a worry thought to mm -hmm. a silly thought, just noticing like oh there's change, there's change, oh there's change again, right? And remembering that and keeping that fresh in your consciousness, I think, is very helpful. Right. Yeah, that this thing will eventually sh shift out. It will. I mean, I, I, the, the, the two other examples that I've, I've commonly heard about that is that you can't step in the same river twice. And if you don't like the if you don't like the Hawaiian weather, just wait five minutes. Right? <laughs> so those are both very true statements. That's very interesting. I like that. Yeah, but it's but. But yeah, I think that we can we we absolutely get caught up, and 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 folks with folks with OCD and anxiety will get caught up in the content of those thoughts, as if the solution to the problem is the either the eradication or the resolution of of the content of that thought, as opposed to letting that thought gently pass through and letting that process of change occur, without 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 having to insert that action as you were talking about. Right. Right. And in, and in OCD terms, I mean, this is not some wild, you know, new age add on to OCD work or some brilliant new concept. It's what we've already been doing, right? It's, it's this idea of you can um, observe your experiences differently. Mm -hmm. And, and the challenge is, like what we teach people when we're teaching them how to overcome their OCD is to think clinically, right? That's the first thing we teach them. We explain what OCD is mm -hmm. at a clinical level. It's obsessions, impulsions, negative reinforcement, et cetera. And then we tell them like when you're out there in the world and you get triggered to think clinically, like, okay, all right, I got triggered. This is my OCD. I know how to handle this. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do compulsions. It's very scary. And here I have all these tools for responding, you know, without uh, giving myself reassurance, trying to be certain. I'm going to do exposure to it. So it's, it's all about, you know, hey, remember you have OCD mm -hmm. and that OCD is a clinical issue and you can treat it clinically. We're teaching people to think clinically, which is really just another way of saying, don't take it so personally. Mm. It's not personal. So this is where it gets into some some sort of Buddhist philosophy mm -hmm. of of what it means to take it personally. There's a big difference between saying, I have anxiety mm -hmm. and it's my anxiety, or I'm I have these terrible thoughts and, 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 and they're my terrible thoughts. Or there is anxiety, or there are thoughts and they have this uh, displeasing content and mm -hmm. I am observing them. Mm. Right? And when you get away from the my, me, mine, and attaching everything to your identity story, and you get into the space of just noticing that things are happening, a lot of beautiful things occur. One, from an OCD perspective, it gives you a lot of power over your OCD. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that, a trigger. Oh, look at that, my OCD is trying to push me around. Okay, I know how to handle that, right? Because it's not mine, it's just happening, it's something I can see. But then even bigger than that, you start to realize there is anxiety as opposed to my anxiety, is how we connect to all other human beings, right? Because all other human beings experience anxiety. So it's part of the human condition. So what are you observing? You're observing that 
there is anxiety. You're observing that the sky is blue and grass is green. That's something you also share with other people who can see, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a different way of relating to it. But again, it's, I think it's very hard. We're not taught this. We're not conditioned to believe this. Yeah. Right? So it's my thoughts, my anxiety, and that taking it personal as opposed to viewing it clinically or mindfully as something that is mm -hmm. that that's where a lot of mental health difficulties reside it's it's the it's the taking of the thoughts personally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I i know you've got to get out of here soon but i wanted to uh, ask one more question is that how how can um someone who's trying to be mindful catch themselves if and when mindfulness can turn compulsive i suppose the better question this is the assumption that mindfulness can turn compulsive but i think that i'm right um but uh in, in, in what way can it can they say maybe, maybe i'm doing this practice in a compulsive manner and i need to then i need to shift out of that well i think there's there's two two parts to it one one is on the on the compulsive side of things what what tends to happen for people who are like might be listening to this and go okay mindfulness cool i got to be more mindful that'll cure my ocd let me be mindful am i being mindful now am i being mindful now what about now right. so checking becomes the problem right checking as opposed to remembering to be present it's checking to see if you're present oh am oh, no, i present now present. how okay, present i need to be present now am i more present exactly. than i was yesterday right and and also part of that is confusing mindfulness with um always being the same thing as emotional regulation or reducing distress like chilling out right so then kind of compulsively avoiding distress as opposed to observing distress might get confused with mindfulness um the other part of it is if you're not being self-compassionate which is to say if you're being judgmental then you're not being mindful mm. i mean I'll, I'll add the footnote that of course you could observe the fact that you're being judgmental but but the larger point here is that's something to look out for. So if you're like, oh, I wasn't being mindful because I suck, right? Yeah. That's not becoming more mindful. That's just <laughs> being judgmental about your observation versus noticing that you're you know, doing 15 different things at the same time and not really paying attention to any of them and then saying, oh, I noticed that. Maybe even adding something like, oh, good catch. And then bringing your attention back to the weight of your body or the experience of you know the wind in your face or whatever. Yeah. And then feeling you know pretty good about the fact that you noticed something that you didn't notice before instead of judging yourself for not being perfect yeah and i think you said something important there you certainly did but the the part where you said it, it, you didn't say it like this but it said that mindfulness is not magic it's not going if you're doing it to solve your ocd or to destroy it or to get rid of it you're, you're going into it with the wrong attitude because I, I i thus far we haven't found one singular tool one singular intervention that is going to eradicate uh ocd this is this is one of one of the tools in the toolbox that are going to get you get you down the road i yeah i mean i think that that's a perfectly healthy way to look at it i, w I would also add that I try not to describe it as a tool because a tool is something that you use and mindfulness is not an intervention. So when people say like, and then I did mindfulness, I don't know what they mean. Right. Uh, and often what they mean is I've, you know, forced myself to chill out, which isn't always bad, but it's not really what mindfulness is. Mindfulness point. is a perspective. Right. It's a perspective that you take, right? So it's not an intervention in the way that exposure therapy is an inter intervention. You do exposure therapy, 
you experience mindfulness. You remember mindfulness exists. It's a little bit different from from focusing on it as I need to do more mindfulness and then I'll be better. Right, right. I've I've certainly heard heard that. Well, I I, I know you got to get out of here, so I, I want to give you uh, that that chance. Um, but uh, is there is there anything you wanted to add just right here at the very end before we sign off today? Uh, just I really appreciate that what you can do on your podcast is just have a conversation, right? So I don't know, you know, we didn't have a really strong agenda today, and and it wasn't like, and now you know this, right? It's, it's I would really like that we could connect and kind of explore these concepts. I, you know, what do I know? Like I'm I'm not uh, walking around on a on a cloud or a magic carpet. Like I'm I'm exploring this like anybody else, and I'm just sort of reporting on my findings so far. There, it doesn't. The cool thing about mindfulness is it doesn't. It doesn't end. It doesn't like, and now I've achieved mindfulness and I can finally take a nap. No, it's, yeah. it's like it's an act of con- of being more and more curious about what it is to be conscious, what it is to be alive. And, um, you know, for people who are out there suffering from OCD, you know, one of the saddest parts about it is how it commandeers your consciousness. And mm-hmm. it says being alive is about this. It's about your harm OCD. It's about your contamination. It's about mm. your failure to figure it out. And and when people get some freedom from their OCD, they realize that, you know, being alive is about so much more than that. And those are, what are those? Those are thoughts. Those are ideas. That's not your whole life. Right, right. I, I think that's the perfect place to, to call it quits here. So, John, thank you so much again for your time. And uh, and hope I, I hope you uh, have not been completely turned off by our conversations and that we can have you on again to, to chat about more stuff in the future. <laughs> It would be a pleasure to come back and we can explore how turned on or off I got from hanging out with you, Kevin. <laughs> that, yes, let's call it, let's discuss it just like that. How turn- just got awkward. Just got turn off the mic. Turn All right. it off. Oh, goodness. oh, gosh. All right. All right, John. Well, thank you so much and you have a good day. Bye, Kevin. Bye. All right. Thank you, everybody, for making it through that episode. Um, If you have a follow-up question for John, you can always uh, send me a message over at fearcastpodcast.com and uh, go to the submit a question link, and I'll be sure to forward that to him, and he may be kind enough to join us again uh, to talk about uh, another topic. So if you have a question, again, go over to Fearcast Podcast. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to Fearcast Podcast and click on the uh, Find Help link. There'll be some information for you there. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.